Welcome uh, to Fishing for Men with Mac. Uh, this is Mac speaking. Uh, you are listening to episode 49. And it's just great to have you here. And the big question for today that I'll be dealing with is this. Where does Satan come from? <clears throat> what is he? Is it reasonable to believe in him? Why does he exist? And what is his role? I've been um, spending some time over Zoom studying with a lady that is just... It's just been wonderful to, to to talk to her about God and she has come from a background, a Catholic background, but uh, ever since then she's not really uh, engaged with religion or faith, even though she does believe that God exists. And what's interesting is that recently we spoke a little bit about Satan and, and she says that she, she believes that God exists, but she does not believe that Satan is is really a being that we need to be concerned about, that he actually does exist. And, and that's understandable because we've been raised uh, through television and uh, cartoons to see Satan as this red guy, this, this guy with horns and a, and a dragon tail and his, and his fork. Um, you know, he looks like a cartoon character and so it seems fictional. There can't really be something like that. But here is the problem. Good and evil exists. If you believe that good exists, then you believe that evil exists as well. Um, and if you don't believe that good and ex evil exists, then you are a fool. And if good comes from God, then the question becomes, where does evil come from? Well, the same scriptures that Christians believe in that teach us about God also speaks about an evil being. And that evil being we call Satan, Devil, the Great Red Dragon, Lucifer. There's all kinds of names that people have. And atheists want to deny the existence of God. And together with that, they would also have to deny that evil spirits exist. And in a way, <coughs> evil spirits, therefore, are, um, you know, it's, it's actually evidence for God's existence. Um, because <coughs> you might be unhappy with the idea that God exists. But what about all the, the evidence out there for evil spirits? Uh, to prove that there's evil ex spirits is not actually that difficult. I have not been a person that really, I just believe it because the scriptures say so. And, and the scriptures are so reliable and the scriptures have changed my life. And so I do believe in the scriptures that, we've, that we have that speaks about God. Um, and so that's why I believe that there's evil beings in the, the, the world. Um, but there are actually ways that you can sort of go and, and prove uh, that evil spirits exist. Go look at demon-possessed people. I do believe that there's demon-possessed people still today. Uh, doctors cannot explain why people are basically insane. Um, p policemen and uh, crime investigators, they cannot explain why certain people do the most horrendous things, that they would murder people at, at a whim, that they would uh, murder little babies, rape children. Uh, um, how can any human being actually do that? And so we know that there are insane people that do insane stuff and, and there's no medical diagnosis for it. Um, look at serial killers. M many serial killers have said something else. They would even acknowledge that it's something spiritual that has taken over their lives, that have influenced them to call, commit the crimes that they've committed. So there's some really deep evil in this world that doesn't originate with people, but in the spiritual realm. And if you really, if you really want to test whether Satan and his spirits exist, then you can go play games like Ouija board games. And in Afrikaans, we've got a game called Glossy Glossy. Now, I, 
I don't have the guts to go and do that. Um, but let me guarantee you this. Go test it out. I wouldn't do that, but go test it out. Go spend some time with witches and sangomas and go see what they do. See what they get involved with. Walk with them. Go, go test this to see for yourself. So anyways, there is so much to be said about this, but um, let me use this episode to explore what the Christian worldview is. The Christian view is about Satan and where where Satan fits into the story of God. Because if the Christian believes that there is a God and he believes that there is a Satan, what is the purpose of this devil guy? Uh, what role does he play? Um, so... I'll divide this podcast into two sections. And just by the way, before I just continue with that, let me just state this. I think about, I'm thinking about next week doing a podcast on Dynamo. Um, you know, there's a lot of people out there that believe that he is involved with evil spirits. And that's why he can perform these amazing um, tricks. Um, that's why he can do this types, the types of magic that he is performing. And so I'm going to do some research next week and then tap into that. So um, I, I do believe that there's some evidence in there for... Um, for the existence of the spiritual realm. just That was just a slight uh, advertisement. So for this podcast, I'm going to basically di- divide it into two sections. First, how Satan enters and forms part of God's story. I'm going to deal with that. And then I'm going to uh, go look at, you know, who Satan is and, you know, where does he come from, etc., etc. And let me just recap what I spoke about last week in the, in the podcast for in case you are you, you did not listen to that one. The story starts with, uh, God's story starts with him in heaven and uh, before time began. And the story starts in the heart of God. The story of God starts with love. God had a desi- desire before time began. He had a desire. It is hard to share his love because that's what love is. It, it's, uh, it, it, it's sharing. It's giving and taking. And so before time existed, God planned to give us his most valuable gift as a demonstration of his love for us. That is the purpose of creation. Uh, he created the universe to display um, his size and be a habitation for our planet. The, he created the world to display his wisdom and be a habitation for us. And then he created us in his image. And right in the middle of it all, he planned to erect a cross for the death of his son as the most glorious of all his works. God created to, to, to show and give his love displayed in the glory of the cross. The very purpose, the reason why we live. And this you can go check out in last week's podcast is so that God can share his love with someone and for all in order for his love to be effective and his love to be meaningful to us we had to be created people or creatures that could reciprocate love Um, but we've been created not because God needed anything but because God wanted to give us something and that is love so God created to show and give his love displayed on the cross and this love is unconditional the Bible says while we were still sinners Christ died for us and his love was not dependent on us he doesn't give us his love because we deserve it First um, John 4 verse 10 says this is love not that we loved God but that he loved us and he sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins while we were still a mess and, and, and stuck in, in death his son came and died for us on the cross if we ever decide to love God it is because he first loved us because First John 4 19 says we love because he first loved us and so this that's the creation story god is happy he's created the the human race now he's he's put people on the planet adam and eve is there and and then we read like right after that story that that you know god saw all that he had made and he's very happy about it and and he says that it was very good and so you, you can imagine the story is just starting with good stuff 
Okay. In the two opening chapters, God creates all things. He, he makes a special place for Adam to live. He gives Adam food, gives him a wife, gives Adam and Eve dominion over all the earth and has fellowship in love with them. Now, this story from here forward can be seen from two different perspectives. Our perspective and God's perspective. I'm going to start with ours and then I'm going to move over to God's perspective. And for those of us who, who, are, not, uh, who are not Christians and haven't heard you know, read the text maybe yourself. I'm going to talk about uh, Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. And uh, in this, this time frame when they were in the Garden of Eden, God gave them one command. He said to them, you can eat from all the trees in the garden, but do not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, I think we've spoken about that before in this podcast, and I'm going to get back to that. But so everything is good, but God just wants one thing from the, the humans he's created don't eat from that tree. Okay. What happens further in the story? Well, a crisis hits and just like it is in the movies today, you do not have a story until something goes wrong. So I'm going to read to you from Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. It says, uh, now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. Now, who's the serpent? This is the first time we read about Satan. Okay, he said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from the tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. What's interesting here is that um, the first thing that Satan does to people is he, he, he makes them doubt in what God says. So if you're listening to this podcast and you are doubting what God says, then, you know, you might... You might be have a little devil around you there that's uh, whispering this in your ear. Verse 4 says, you will certainly, you will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. And then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. And so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees in the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, interesting, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Verse 13, then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. All right, you, you check that. Okay. Um, and then God gives all three of them curses. And then in verse 20, it says, Adam, uh, verse 21, the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. And the Lord God said, the man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord God banished him from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. Now, there's lots of stuff to be said there. Um, we call this the, the fall of mankind. And if you look at the story, the story was going so well, the first two chapters. God is happy. And then suddenly enters the dragon, the serpent. And the serpent 
<clears throat> he uh, he deceives the women to rebel against God. And then um, she, she deceives her husband to rebel against God. And they eat of the fruit of the tree. And there we go. They have really messed up the story. Now all of God's desires and dreams are shattered, right? He wanted to be with them, love them and live with them forever. And now Satan has come and thrown his whole desire into a mess. Um, God has to go back to heaven with a sad heart. He's had to expel Adam and Eve from uh, eternal life now. Uh, they must now be shoved into the world where they will die. And for all eternity they will be lost without God. And wherever they go and their children go, they will carry forward the virus of sin that will eventually destroy every human being. And Satan is smiling, right? He's smiling because he had managed to destroy God's happily ever after story. That's from our perspective. What do you think? I mean, now if you've sat in church, you've probably heard the story being told this way. Um, let me tell you this, ladies and gentlemen, this wasn't a crisis to God. This wasn't a, a problem to God. This was a crisis to Adam and Eve. Okay? This was simply a piece of the puzzle of God's plan. He knows everything from beginning to end. It was a victory for him. And now we're going to go deep and step onto holy ground so that we can understand where Satan also comes from. If we were still sitting, imagine for a moment, we're still sitting with God, we're talking with him by the river of life at the end of this life, and we're talking to him about the fall of mankind and the work of Satan on that day. What do you think God would say? If we asked him questions like, why did you create Satan so powerful that he can catch you off guard? Because that's what it looks like here. God was busy, uh, I don't know, cooking a meal in his kitchen while Satan was busy doing this to Adam and Eve, right? And deceiving them. It's like, where were you, Lord? Why did you create a tree of the knowledge of good and evil? I think God would say the following to us. He would say, you know what? Satan didn't complicate my plan. He completed my plan. He didn't complicate things for me. Nothing, nothing in the universe can complicate things for God. He's God. Okay, I think we can all agree that when we talk about God, that he is omniscient. He knows everything. He's omnipotent. He's all powerful and he's omnipresent. That means that he's everywhere at the same time. If we do something, it means that there's nothing God doesn't know about. There's nothing that happens that he does not know will happen. He can do anything and stop anything and he's everywhere at the same time. If these characteristics of God are true, then it means that God knew Satan was talking to Eve. He knew it. He knew Eve was falling. And he could have prevented it from happening. He could have grabbed that peach or whatever apple that was out of a hand. But he didn't. Why? Because if they didn't sin, they would not be lost. They would not be in danger of death and they would not need a savior. And God would not send his most prized gift to demonstrate his love. And nobody would ever have access to his great love. God had to lose the human race in order to save them. He had to risk them to save them. His grace only became meaningful to those who deserved punishment. That's the fall. God allowed the fall to take place because that would fall right into his plan. I think secondly that God would say, Satan didn't catch me off guard. I'm always on guard. And this is hard for us to get. Here's one of those things that we find it hard to wrap our minds around, right? Like God sees things happen before they happen because he's not bound by time. 
And since he knows everything, he also knows the future. And here I need to just briefly point out the difference between foreknowledge and predestination. Foreknowledge is that you know something will happen. Predestined is you make something happen. God didn't make Satan deceive Eve, and neither did he make Eve eat the fruit. But he knew they would, and it fit right into his plan. And since he lives in eternity, he's not bound by time, which means that he's, in, that he's at every point of time. He was in the garden before the garden existed. He experienced the pain of the cross before the cross existed. He has already judged the world. Yeah, I mean, ladies and gentlemen, you don't want to play chess with God because he's already won the game. He has already made the moves based on the moves that you would make. And we could go deep into this, but I hope you get the point. Does it make sense to you that our minds are too small to make sense of God? The point is that the fall came as no surprise to God. In partnership with Satan and Eve, God set in motion the second part of his plan. God then would say, well, you know what, I planted the tree to create sin potential. God's plan would be meaningless if the people he loved did not have the free will to love him. The tree existed so Adam and Eve could choose to obey God or not. And this is a fundamental truth and fact in God's story. All the characters in God's story can do what they like. Even though God knows what they will do, He doesn't make them do what they do. I mean, God is the greatest supporter of human rights. He gave human beings the right to make their own decisions about life and love. God doesn't make our decisions for us, but He uses the decisions that we make for His plan and purpose. Before time began, He knew the decisions that Satan and Eve and Moses and Pharaoh and Herod and David would make. He knew the decisions that you would make this week. He used our decisions to formulate his plan. And maybe this is the second part of this podcast that you've been waiting for. The more juicy details about who Satan is. We, we're still sitting by the river talking to God in eternity. And we ask God, Lord, who is Satan? Why did you put him in the story? Why did you create such an evil being? Where does he come from? And why does he have so much power? You see, because every story has a protagonist and an antagonist. And in God's story, Satan is the antagonist. And just go look at Hollywood. You always have the good guy and the bad guy. I think that God would say the following, and I take, I take my cue from the Bible. First of all, God would say, I created Lucifer, not Satan. It's important to distinguish the two. Colossians 1 and verse 16 says that everything was created for him and through him. And so everything that exists has been created by God for a purpose. I want to read to you, though, I'm going to talk about two scriptures that have been earmarked by many scholars as, as uh, maybe prophetic words about Satan. The one is in Ezekiel chapter 28, and I'm going to read from verse 12b. It says, you were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. This text is talking about Satan, okay? It's talking about um, the king of Tyre as well, but it's also talking about Satan. You were the seal of perfection. What does that mean? That's, that Satan was perfect. Full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. What? The devil is full of wisdom and perfect in beauty? Listen to this, verse 13, and this is what gives it away. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Oh my goodness. 
And this cannot refer to the king of Tyre because he was not in the, in the Garden of Eden. Who was in the Garden of Eden? It was Satan. Every precious stone adorned you, carnelian, chrysolite, and emerald, topaz, onyx, and jasper, lapis, lazuli, turquoise, and beryl. Your settings and mountings were made of gold on the day you were created. They were prepared. You were So what does this say? He was beautiful. He was full of wisdom. You were anointed as a guardian cherub. What's a cherub? Well, you get two types of angels, seraphim and cherubim. Seraphim, just praise God permanently in heaven. Those are the guys with the, the, the white clothes singing holy, holy, holy. And then you've got the cherubim and those are warrior angels. And so what is Satan? He's a warrior angel. For so I ordained you. You were on the holy mount of God. You walked among the fiery stones. You were blameless in all your ways from the day you were created till wickedness was found in you let's look at this god created lucifer and lucifer we seem to see that as a bad word that's actually not a bad word that's actually that's the good devil and we look at this it looks like lucifer is created by god to be a great leader and by the way a leader of worship because the talk text talks about his settings and mountings you know what a setting is in in the hebrew language tambourines and mountings are pipes yet settings and mountings made of gold it's like he had a built-in sound system in his body <laughs> he was probably making the most noise when god created now i don't know what he looks like i really don't know what he looks like but this text is just trying to tell us that satan was glorious and he was created as a guardian cherub. He was not only a musician, but a warrior. You see, cherubs protect the holiness of God. They have swords and wings and hands and feet. You don't mess with these oaks. And God placed him in the garden of Eden to protect his holiness. And God created Lucifer extremely wise and perfectly beautiful. He was covered in jewelry, the ancient symbols of wealth and popularity. He was in God's presence and there was no blame in him. But listen to what the text says. It says, You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created till wickedness was found in you. This is Ezekiel 28, 15. Verse 16. Through your widespread trade, you were filled with violence and you sinned. So I drove you in disgrace from the mount of God and I expelled you, guardian cherub, from among the fiery stones. In less than four days with Adam and Eve, well, that's, that's a calculation that was uh, suggested, and I'm not saying that this is 100% the truth, but Archbishop Usher, the great 17th century Bible scholar, placed Satan's fall on the 10th day of the first year, which is the Day of Atonement. <coughs> from this traditional practice flows the original belief that it was on the 10th day from creation that Adam and Eve received clothing from God for their sin. Within three days, mankind, with the help of Satan, managed to alienate themselves from God. Because, you see, man was... Um, if 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 the humans were if Adam and Eve were created on the sixth day, then it it meant it was about the tenth day that they were cast out of the garden. If we follow that type of logic, and that would assume that uh, Satan lost his place very quickly, um, you know, in less than four days, um, just like humans, we see therefore that angels have free will too. So Lucifer created Satan, not God. Lucifer became Satan. When he rebelled against God. And this is of fundamental importance. God did not create Satan or evil. 
He created Lucifer, who created Satan and evil of his own choice and accord. Similarly, let me just say that God creates us all good. Ecclesiastes 7 verse 29 says, Man has been created upright, but he has gone in search of many schemes. We turn our hearts over to evil, and Satan is right there to help us along. Maybe God then would say, you know what, and, and I'm still wondering, but if, if Satan was created so nice and, and, and you, know, well, you know what happened, you know, and I think God would say, Satan developed a heart problem that I used for my glory. Look at the following text that gives us an indication of what was going on in Satan's mind when he rebelled. Here's the reason why Satan rebelled. Chapter 28 verse 17 of Ezekiel. Your heart became proud on account of your beauty and you corrupted your wisdom because of your splendor. So I threw you to the earth and I made a spectacle of you before kings. He looked at his beauty and he thought, I might as well be God. He looked at his wisdom and thought, I might as well just be God. There's another text, Isaiah chapter 14, I think it is, that um, also is, is prophetic in line with, with Satan. 14 verse 12, it says, How you have fallen from heaven, morning star, son of the dawn, you have been cast down to the earth, you who once laid low the nations. You said in your heart, I will ascend to the heavens, I will raise my throne above the stars of God, I will sit enthroned on the mount of assembly, on the utmost heights of Mount Zaphon, I will send above the tops of the clouds, I will make myself like the most high. Hmm. Evil was created in Satan's heart, nowhere else. And here we find the five I will statements. Listen to what Satan is saying. He says, I will move into God's house. I will rule over all the angels. Those are the stars. I will sit as king over all things to be worshipped. I will ascend to the highest point in the universe. I will be like God. You see, something happened in the heart of Satan. His wisdom and his beauty caused it. Some say that Satan was jealous of God. And since then he was disinterested in serving God because he thought him to himself as a God. You know, as, as John Milton said in Paradise Lost, uh, the, these are almost the words of Satan. It's better to reign in hell than serve in heaven. And maybe that was the mentality of Satan. It's better to reign in hell than serve in heaven. The sin of Satan stems from the moment he dethroned God in his heart. So God knew Lucifer would turn into Satan before time began and he decided to use Satan for his glory, which was displayed through the cross. God allowed Satan into his story for his glory through Jesus. What can we learn from this? Well, if you, if you do the same thing as Satan did, you'll be used by God in the same way that Satan was treated. When you think you're wiser than God, that you can do a better job than him, then you're dethroning God and claiming you can take his place. When you make that switch in your heart, then God makes a decision to use you for His glory. Romans chapter 9 verse 22 and 23 explains that quite well. That you're either an object of wrath or an object of mercy. And which one you are depends on you. You have the choice. Just like Satan had the choice. Maybe God then would continue to say, you know, Satan was not my enemy. He was your enemy. Death was my enemy. God's enemy is not someone, but something. There's no being in the universe that can serve as God's enemy. I mean, I, there's, there's people out there that say, you know, you know, and we think, we think so. We think that Satan and God, they're waging war. Um, no, Satan can never fight God. God never fought Satan. In actual fact, the Bible says that Michael the archangel fought him. So when God wants to fight Satan, he just sends another angel. 
All right. So, so God has not even rolled up his sleeves yet. He can blow Satan over with the breath of his mouth. Before he, Satan even started a fight, God had already won the fight. Since before mankind sinned, God crucified his son. So Satan is not God's enemy. That is why scripture depicts um, you know, Satan's number as being triple six in the book of Revelation. And by the way, do you know what God's number is? It's seven. Seven is the perfect number. Four plus three. Mankind plus the Godhead. When man and, and God unites, that is perfect love. And that's the purpose of creation. Triple six. What is triple six? If you're a mathematician, you would know what it is. <laughs> triple six can... It just perpetuates for all of eternity. It's a perpetual reminder that Satan will always fall short of God. He is not omniscient. He is not omnipotent. And he's not omnipresent. In other words, he doesn't know everything. Okay, He cannot do everything. And he's not everywhere at the same time. And I hope that gives you comfort because Satan has probably never been in your presence. He can only be at one place at a time. He's not the creator. He was created. He is beautiful, but he's not the most beautiful. And so God would say to us, look, Satan is not my enemy. Satan is your enemy. Satan could never read God. He could never know God's mind or see his next move. He could never see God's weakness. But he knew one thing for sure. He knew it for a fact. Then on the sixth day when God left heaven, sat down in the dirt of earth and shaped the human being with his own hands, he knew there was something up. There's one thing that God made very, very clear from the beginning, and that is who he loved. God demonstrated in front of the angels and Satan and the whole universe that he loved human beings because he made him from the dust of the ground and he prepared his son to die on a cross for them. And because of Satan's dislike in God, he turned to the people, the thing that God loves the most, the possession that God loves the most, and that is you and me. Revelation 12 verse 17 points it out. The great red dragon went off to make war against all those who obey God's commandments and hold to the testimony of Jesus. 1 Peter 5 verse 8 says, Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. In his primary goal and scheme to, is, is to kill you and me. John 8.44 says, He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. And just, just like with Eve, he wants to lie to us about God. He wants us to doubt God. He wants us to release our allegiance to him. He wants us to be separated from God. He wants us to doubt his love. And the last thing he wants us to do is to love God. And in the process, he's murdering us. Just like Eve died a physical and spiritual death, we will die a physical and spiritual death. And the spiritual death makes him smile. Why? Because God's enemy is not someone, it's something. God's enemy is death because he is life. 1 Corinthians 15.26 says the last enemy to be destroyed is death. Satan created death in opposition to God. He created us to live with him forever in glory and love. God has done everything he can to give us life, but we choose death daily when we sin apart from Christ. For the wages of sin is death, says the Bible. Satan cannot do anything in this world without the cooperation of a human being. So if we want to blame someone for evil, it's not God. It is you, and it is me, and it is Satan. I just want to point out a, a very important thing. That if we look at the story, the story of life on earth, and we look at evil, we look at, uh, we look at Satan, it, it looks like a touch-and-go scenario. 
But from God's perspective, it has all been part of His plan. We must remember that evil, and you know, if we look at the world within which we live, it's Satan is gaining power daily by the day. And he's only gaining power because people are increasingly listening more to him. We see it in the politics. We see it in the news. Satan is busy creating a new normal. He's busy creating a new truth. God says there's two genders, male and female. Satan comes and he says, nah, <coughs> let's, uh, you know, it's not really the case. You can be anything. You can choose what you want to be whether it's pan, bi, trance, whatever, and we'll just make it a unlimited. He's casting doubt. He's casting doubt. We say the world is created by God. And then Satan comes with, with his scientists and, and, and claim, no, but it's, there's, there's no evidence for God and science proves there's no God. No, it's not actually the case. And all Satan is doing, he's casting doubt that God exists. He's casting doubt that human beings have intrinsic value. He's casting doubt that Jesus actually did die on the cross, that there's a reason why we exist. And so this is becoming increasingly, increasingly clearer and more powerful that Satan is very much at work. Um, and he's got lots of people that, that is eating the fruit that he's tempting them to eat. And we've got to be careful that we don't eat it. And when we think about the evil and the suffering in the world, don't blame God for it. It's, it's Satan. He used evil and used what Satan did um, for a greater purpose. You know, I just marvel at the fact that the animals of the earth declare the glory of God and because God feeds and nurtures them, but yet so often we don't do that. We are God's most prized possessions the, the, the world, the universe was created for us. The animals were created for us. The cross was erected for us. God's most prized possession out of the 8 billion people or so on the earth today, how many are praising and worshiping and loving God? The animals do it. And Jesus didn't even die for them. I want to challenge you to go think about that. But you are here today. You're listening to this podcast. And before time began, God knew that you would be here today. He knew that you would love him and accept him or that, that you would not. And to those who, have, who love him and accept him and accept the truth and who listen to the truth, not to the liar, he's promised you eternal life before time began and he wrote down your name in the book of life because he knew that you would. Similarly, if you reject God, please take note that uh, you've been listening to the wrong voice. Think about it carefully. Look around you. Look at your own life. Look at the children that God has given you. Look at the way that the whole universe is in equilibrium. How, how the, the things that God created is just so spectacular. So guys, I hope that gives you sort of a, an idea of where Satan comes into the story and the role that he plays. And I hope that doesn't make you scared. You, well, if you don't have Christ in you, yeah, you've you got to be scared. He's a, he's a, he's a bad guy. And usually the people that experience Satan the most are the people who serve God because they're constantly under attack, under attack. If you don't feel the hug of evil in your life, it's probably because Satan's not bothered about you. He's not really going to concern himself about those he's already got on his side. He knows that you're on a journey to spiritual death and eternal death. In any case, guys, love you lots and have a fantastic day. Bye-bye.